0: I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. I'm Matt Connor. Places, everyone, it's time for The, the Connor, Connor and Smith, Connor Smith Show! Oh.
1: Thank you, Places.
0: Tonight we'll be talking to artistic producing director of the Lyric Theatre of Oklahoma, um, Michael Barron, good friend of ours. Uh, We met at Signature and we can't wait to talk to him. Uh, We're gonna have a commercial and then we'll be right back. Hello. Hi there, Michael.
2: Hi, Steven.
0: How are you?
2: I'm good, how are you?
0: I'm good, I'm here with this guy.
1: Hey.
2: Hey, Buddha. Oh, I mean, Matt.
1: What's going on? Are you in Oklahoma right now?
2: I am in Oklahoma.
1: What's the weather?
2: Uh, the weather right now is clear and sunny. The weather
1: right here right now is hot and hot.
2: Yeah. We've actually had a cool spring. I'm not sure why that's the case, but um, it will be hot soon enough.
0: Yeah. Um, No, it's like disgusting here. It's like 90-some degree uh, heat index, and there's millions of cicadas everywhere.
2: Uh, I know. I was there a couple weeks ago doing, uh, doing my Poetry Out Loud finals filming and was with my brother, and it is loud yeah and that's that's a
0: couple weeks ago like now it's like party
1: time
2: it's worse oh
1: yeah it's a lot worse i've been watching um oklahoma city on television uh how how so i've been watching the women's uh softball world series
2: yeah that is uh minutes away from my house at the stadium we actually looked at that stadium to do greece (laughs) but turns out they wanted to use it for sports I mean that's so unfair.
0: That's so 80s. <laughs> yeah, there's actually not to get back to the cicadas, but this really grossed me out. There's actually so many that they, I think they like pee or something. You can see under trees just drips of of liquid. It's disgusting.
1: Yeah. So what's the liquid?
0: I think it's like cicada pee.
1: <laughs> I think it's little cups of beer.
0: I, I don't know, but they, they're those neighbors that you just have to, like, say, can you keep it down, please? We're trying to sleep.
2: Well, their corpses were, like, everywhere. Oh, it's, it's over a, everything.
0: awful. It's horrific. And if you have dogs, it's worse. Because
2: they eat them, I've heard.
1: Yeah, they're like, what's this?
2: Have, a snack. Have you seen the people
1: who are, like, making little miniature, like, f- uh, photographs, portraits of them with, like, mm-hmm. little... Little living rooms and things.
2: <laughs> Too much time on their hands. I
0: know, and it's like the people who are eating them. It's like, do is there nothing else in your fridge? Like you don't know where that's been. <laughs> anyway, this is this, is not this, this is not this cicada podcast. It is. I, well, let's talk to Michael about cicadas. We're we're t- we're talking about really tough issues tonight on the podcast. Cicadas. Caller, you say what? And women's softball.
1: <laughs> no one who, no one at
2: that game talks like that, I assure you.
1: And people who won't let Greece happen in the arena. <laughs> so, Michael, you are the producing artistic director at the Lyric
0: Theater of Oklahoma, and you have opened or are about to open
2: Greece. We open next Tuesday for a two-week run. And where did they let you do it? We are doing it at Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Football stadium.
0: Because that's out of season right now, right?
2: Correct. There is no football season. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, So we're doing it at the stadium. Our whole season's outside. And um, we usually do three big summer musicals in a 2,400-seat hall. So I have a lot of subscribers, particularly (laughs) wanting to see theater wherever we can do it. And uh, that was... The largest venue and the most uh, fun to do Grease in. Because if you're going to do Grease outside at a venue, it should be at a high school because that's well, where it takes place.
1: Yeah, it's site specific, right? What's, Correct. Been your big, what's been your biggest challenge and your and a big aha moment working on it that's like, oh, this works really well. We can put an actual carnival inside.
2: <laughs> right. Grease? Well, I will say I was in marching band for four years in high school. Um, And so I'm very aware of the scale things need to be. And so we have a cast of 60, which has worked out like perfectly. So you have 30 professionals kind of uh, as a core. And then there's 30 high school kids as well on the show that are also dancing and singing, but are also twirling flags, helping move scenery, um, creating the field of people that you need to... Um, honor the size of the the stadium,
1: right? Yes. So it's kind of like you, like what you just said. It's kind of like taking the scale of a halftime show.
2: Yeah, it maybe, is. Maybe, That's exactly right. we're we're billing it as a Super Bowl halftime show version of Greece. Wow, uh, we're we'll only use the home side, but um, yeah,
1: Gaga is Sandy.
2: <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, well, even in fact, when we do "Hopelessly Devoted," she kind of you know sings it all sad and. Demure and Olivia-like in her robe from the movie. And then she gets center stage and uh, some of our extras put a microphone there and they rip off her robe and underneath is this huge uh, gown and she becomes like the pop star of the period. So there's a lot of pop star moments in the show.
1: Oh, that's amazing.
2: Grease is that we have all the songs from the movie. So the show starts out <laughs> with... Uh, myself and Ashley Wells, who's my associate artistic director, we usually announce, the, like, introduce the shows in the summer and welcome everyone. So I was like, you know, why don't we be Adult Patty and Eugene because <laughs> it's a memory show anyway, the stage version. So we're Patty and Eugene, and we say, you know, welcome alumni um, to the show. And then at that point, you hear the chords of Greece is the word, and the 60, 60 teens run onto the field. As Teen Angel comes out in a real convertible, 57 Chevy, singing Grease is the Word.
1: Oh, my God. That
2: <laughs> and that's how it starts.
1: Please let us know when you're going to go FaceTime live and show everybody.
2: <laughs> yeah, we will for sure. <laughs> we'll see clips and things. Um, yeah, no, it's gigantic. And we have, um, we had, I purposely we had printed out, you know, marching band flags that say ride right all high. And then my friend Pam, who works at another agency, I'm like, your your daughters were in band, right? Can you get me more flags? And so now we have the head of the UConn High School Marching Band. She's coming out, and she's giving us five extra sets. So for Grease Lightning, we got twirling black ones. For uh, musical dropout, there's pink ones. On and on and on.
1: And is the band a part of the show, or are they kind of like off in a little room?
2: Yeah, they're so far in a room that they're tracked. (laughs) we got permission to use the professional tracks um, and which is a real band that recorded them. They're not sort of Casio keyboards. They sound great. There's like saxophone, all that stuff. But when we, when we um, got all the permissions to do the show, particularly uh, the vaccine wasn't in full force or even around when I announced it. So Getting real musicians and all the tech, the tech that involves on and off a football field because everything has to come off every night. Every night, the entire set and everything because it kills the grass. I'm told, <laughs> and um, so uh, and also you can't control in a football stadium live music, and so what has happened is you you, you know we're singing to the tracks, but the, the, the same sound is heard from the performers on the field as well as the audience. And it's, it actually sounds fantastic and better than some shows I've seen inside. Um, wow. The key thing is you can't, ha- you know, if we had a drum kit anywhere on, on that field, it would echo from weird, a weird place. And so it all works. I So far, knock on wood, what we've gone happened. You know, yeah,
0: happened? I, I also was in the marching band.
2: Hey, uh, what did you play, Stephen?
0: Oh, the trumpet.
2: Uh, I was alto sax
0: that checks
2: and a drum major um, for engineer
0: that also checks um <laughs> that <laughs> seems that seems totally you um
2: because i'm so jazzy
0: yes that's, that's that's what i imagine you're a jazzy fella
2: i did uh for the high school talent show play part-time lover on the saxophone
0: da, 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 da.
2: Yep. exactly nice. my ray bands on and my jean jacket rolled up paisley sleeves i looked like michael j fox in back to the future
0: everyone thought you were the coolest thing in the world well i don't know but it was fun that's amazing um but yeah i guess real drums in a stadium they even in a stadium show they kind of ricochet sound around yeah um but
2: you don't really care
0: because you're at a halftime show and that's what that is
2: um you no, know, this has to sound good. And it actually does. it does. It's like album ready. It's really great. The singers are amazing. And uh, yeah, it's fun. Although the only a couple of shocking, one of the shocking things happened was my stage manager, she just graduated Oklahoma City University. Carolyn Mueller is amazing. She went to the same high school I went to in Orlando, Florida, Boone High School. And so first first day of rehearsals, I thought it was being all cute. So I wore a shirt from high school. And she's like, wow, class of 1988 Remember I went to your school I was like, oh right She goes, yeah, I'm class of 17
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah You are like,
2: wow, 1798
1: Was a really long time ago You look amazing <laughs> You look
2: <laughs> 88 and 17 That's quite a spread
0: But my mind went first to like Well, it can't be 1917 right, Oh. what? Wait. <laughs> Oh, that is funny. 1917? Wow. Yeah, yeah, they they keep making these young people, Michael. They keep coming out. It's weird. I am also
1: graduating high school class of 1988. Are you? Yeah.
2: Aren't we great, 88?
1: Except in Winchester and Virginia Public Schools, so it it felt like it was 1928. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, that's so exciting! So you got two weeks to finish up all your tech stuff and last minute
2: things. Uh, one week, it was one a two week run. Yeah, but it'll we open next Tuesday.
0: That's so exciting! Well, Thank you for finding the time to talk to us amidst
1: all that. That's well, I,
2: I was napping, I must admit, but I'm up now. Oh,
0: good.
1: Now, <laughs> um, so this is right. You're, you're the, the lyric is right downtown.
2: Yeah, we have uh, we own a theater that seats 280. It used it was Oklahoma's first air conditioned movie theater, and it's in a place called the Plaza District, which um, I would compare to in DC, like 8th Street, and um, it's got tons of you know public art and cool restaurants and bars and all that kind of stuff. When I got to Oklahoma 11 years ago, that was not the case. We were sort of we were the um, Oh, what do you call it? like the Macy's in the mall, the anchor store? Yeah, so yeah. they had, remo- they had, re- the they had just uh, opened and redone this beautiful theater, and because of that, economic development wise, the whole street um, now is beyond awesome.
0: Like so, we machine. own that,
2: that theater, and we're there all the time, and we have an academy as well for kids. And then in the summers, we're in residence at the Civic Center Music Hall, which is. Um, you know the road basically the roadhouse of Oklahoma City. So during the school year, it's it houses the Philharmonic the Canterbury voices, which is a a choir and the Broadway tours and then the summer we're there for uh, two months to do our own big shows. Lyrics started out as a summer theater like the Muni and music theater Wichita and Tuts and then because of this other space when I got here we decided to make it year-round and um look more like a regional theater, but still doing giant musicals in the summer.
0: So what you just also brought up points out again, like the studio theater effect on the 14th street corridor, the signature effect on uh, Sherlington. So, you know, if any uh, property development uh, people are listening, that's the lesson, the big takeaway, invite the arts there, everything else will follow, you know? It's an economic driver, right?
2: Oh, for sure. And then in fact, USA Today <laughs> named Oklahoma City the number one city in the country for public art. And it started in the plaza. There's an alley behind our theater and other businesses. And that's where the plaza walls uh, initiative started. And they got some great funding. And then Google jumped on. And now it's there's murals all over the city. Um, and... Yeah, in the district, like last month, Keanu Reeves was walking down the street, and Miley Cyrus got a tattoo across from my office at the tattoo parlor, and it's a very hip place. Now, of course, gentrification is always an issue, mm-hmm. um, but as opposed, I would say to other cities, Oklahoma is so uh, spread out; it's actually not huge population wise compared to some others. And I don't the, the after the Oklahoma City bombing happened, the the city be beca- uh, developed even more uh pride in itself and yes we're a red state and kind of a republican district in many ways they were they decided to tax themselves and it's called the maps project and we're now into maps four but with these penny taxes it paid for all new schools it paid for the renovation of the performing arts hall it paid for the zoo paid for like main street to, to, to spruce up the streets um uh, you know senior citizen centers we have a, a, a giant like central park just opened downtown we have a tr- we have a trolley like um Berlin that opened two years ago that goes around downtown beyond modern a streetcar um, system and they just opened a new convention center so the the town was exploding because of those things and everyone realized you know if, if particularly now, if oil and natural gas companies wanted cultural cultural people to move here and make it a, a great place to, to woo talent. You have to have a city that has really strong arts and infrastructure. And so uh, it has totally paid off. And strangely enough, during this past COVID time, they did not stop building. And so now that vaccines up and everyone is outside in full force, all of these, <laughs> Uh, you know, new apartment buildings and new facilities are are being used. So the town really hasn't stopped.
0: So it's almost set up its own, like, business improvement district, like, that the, the ta- self-tax on the larger yeah. businesses to go towards, uh, there's probably some kind of organization there that uh, is like a revitalization organization or some kind of bid, right?
2: Well, it actually is the city. So the the tax is... Um, everyone, it's on everyone on all goods, I believe. It's like a so, so the the residents have voted, you vote we voted to, to tax ourselves to get all of these things. And then uh, and what it is is when that vote happens, there's a list of this is what the money's gonna go for. It's gonna go like for the big performing arts hall downtown, it also had a second stage. So this year, this maps project went for a brand new lobby as well as a renovation of that theater. Um and other projects so but this the yeah but you, the city i believe implements most of these projects that's,
0: that's awesome that's really great ramir um,
2: is awesome he's he's like 38 maybe 39 he used to perform with the oklahoma shakespeare company when he was a kid um and could not be cooler
0: that was going to be my next question is your city run by a mayor or a board and that That tells me a lot.
2: (laughs) Yeah. The last mayor was um, a former sportscaster here in town. And so his push was wellness. And one of the oil company barons, who's uh, not living anymore, he's the one that kind of built – we have a – it's the Oklahoma River. It's not really a riverfront, but it is a river. But it is one of the the, um, U.S. Rowing Association training sites. So there's boathouses – we have a whitewater center downtown, so he did all the sports stuff. And what we're finding with this new mayor is he's doing, frankly, all of the um, BIPOC diversity arts um, initiatives and senior um, care. And um, where in the past it hasn't been as clear, he's clearly st- saying this is a town for everybody. And he's showing up at Cinco de Mayo at um, the you know Native American uh, powwows, all kinds of of that stuff. He purposely rerouted the bombing memorial to go to the south side of the city, which is mainly Latino. Um, so that's where, I think that's his focus, which is of course great for everybody. And it's, it's, it's a great time because the infrastructure is there to actually support all of these different neighborhoods. we it's strange that like right down, we're, we're very, we're a historic, we live in a historic district downtown called Crown Heights. And on my way to work, which is five minutes by car, we, I drive through the Asian district, which is um, mainly Vietnamese. It's, I mean, streets and streets so far and Asian grocery stores. It's, it's a very surprising town. And um, everyone that comes here, I think that I bring out particularly for Lyric are like, whoa, I had no idea. Um, we used to be known for musical theater because like and Chenoweth and Kelly O'Hara Megan Mullally all came from Lyric <laughs> um, and beauty pageants, um, a lot of beauty pageants here. And then I think now we're transitioning over to be known for other things, which is good.
0: Yeah, I, I wasn't. So it's a pretty diverse city, you would say?
2: Uh, yeah, that was I think I, I, I could be wrong, but um, the main um minority population is Native American mm-hmm. because the trail of Tears ended here and we have 32 36 tribes who are very involved in all aspects of city government, their own na- national governments um, The biggest the biggest sponsor after Allied arts which is sort of the United Way here for the arts is the Chickasaw Nation for lyric. Um, but we also get money from the Sac Fox Nation and the Cherokee Nation and um, a whole bunch.
0: Wow, that's great. Um, so, oh God, you've been there since 2010.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I have.
0: So this is your 11th year there. Um, and and you, okay, so uh, growing, you grew up where, Michael?
2: I grew up in Orlando, Florida.
0: Okay, and what was kind of your, your path, your trek to, like, when was your aha moment of like, oh, right, I want to be in the arts or whatever. Tell us like a little bit about your journey to where you, I mean, Cliff Notes version, obviously, but like what? <laughs> yeah. I want you to tell the story of your life day by day. Um, st- go now.
2: Well, the quick version is um, I went to college for political science because I thought I was going to be the first Jewish president. And I went to Wake Forest, which is in North Carolina. And while I was there, my freshman advisor, Brooke Davis, who's actually a theater professor there now, she was a senior, and she's, um, I was one, I signed up for Young Democrats, and I worked on the Bush Dukakis, Bush Senior Dukakis debate, which was at Wake by freshman year, and when it was all over, I was like, you know, I don't think this is for me, because they were doing a show, but it wasn't that good, (laughs) and I'd already been like a huge Broadway fan, and kind of mainstream theater fan, but Brooke said, hey, we're doing a production of Bus Stop that I'm in at the theater department. Come see it. And I was like, Bus Stop? What's that? A play. <laughs> and so I went and saw it. And I'll always remember the theater was beautiful and designed by John, uh, Joe Melziner, who did the original sets for Glass Menagerie and Street Cream Desire. And um, I walked in the theater and there was a scrim that had a black and white photo of a bus stop um, diner like painted on the scrim. And I was like, oh, okay. And then like, as the show started, you know, behind it, a psych lifted, so you could see through the scrim and there was the diner. I went, what? And then the scrim flew out and the diner rolled forward toward us. And I went, what kind of thing is this? And um, I got involved in the theater department a little bit, but then my junior year, uh, the college had a house in London and every semester a different department went and that happened to be the theater department. So I went over for the semester. I probably saw 50 shows and said, you know, I want to be a director. Like right then. I said, I want to do Shakespeare. I want to do musicals. I want to do that Brian Friel Irish play, maybe. Um, And I went back my, my senior year and directed Of Mice and Men. And that was kind of given to me because all the girls in the department were doing Come Back to the Five and Dime. And they're like, you need to do a play with all guys. I was like, okay. And it's, you know, when your Yagis kind of go to the library shelf at the theater department and go, oh, I'll just do, what does this one have? Right. We did that. But then the second semester I was like, oh, I can, I should pick something I really want to do. And so I did a Charles Bush play that was the one act companion to Vampire Lesbians of Sodom. And it's called Sleeping Beauty or Coma. And I that show is exactly what I still do. It like starts with a dance number. There's usually drag. It's very funny. Um, lots of color, you know, camp is, is a part of it. And, um, you know, kind of creating an event, even with that show. And so I usually look at every show I do as an event. Um, after that, I went to do an internship in Chicago with the Goodman theater and casting, um, cause I wanted to see how regional theater worked and, um, and I, was, I also then did an internship in development to figure out how to raise money. Um, I started a little theater company called Moving Parts Theater Company. And um, that came out of a class I took with Mary Zimmerman, the famous director, who at that time was just a grad student teaching a class at a little center. And um, that theater company, we did three shows just to basically create our own um, grad school before we got to grad school. So we wrote one ourselves. We did an adaptation um, but in that, in that group of eight was Laura Kepley, a dear friend of mine. She's the artistic director at the Cleveland Playhouse now. So we've, it, the world is very small, which you, as you guys know, once you do theater long enough. Um, but then I went to grad school at Trinity Repertory in Providence, Rhode Island. And I went there because it was the, one of the few grad schools where the school is actually at a professional theater. And so I knew I was going to be assisting professional directors on regional theater shows and not an academic show by a director. And through that, I was Oscar Eustace's, who runs the public now, I was his assistant director for three years. And with him, we did world premieres with Paula Vogel and work with David Henry Wong and on and on. Um, And then after that, my partner decided to go to law school. And so he stayed in New England, and while he was in law school for three years, as a, to be a public defender because he's a, a amazing social worker type of lawyer. Um, I then realized I had to make a living some other way in between directing gigs. And um, I'd always done a theater education. So I worked um, at Brown University doing a project there with theater education. I taught at Holy Cross College. I done at Rhode Island College, but I was sort of adjunct, you know, everywhere. Um, and then Jim, when he finished law school, he said, you know what, we need to leave New England and you need to be in you need to be in New York. And I'm like, I uh, do. You? He goes, Yeah, you need to be around Tony Kushner. You need to be around all the people that you've always loved. And so I said, I don't want to do that unless I have something. And I got an NEA grant, which they don't offer anymore, but it was purposely a grant to get directors outside of New York and to take over regional theaters. And so my projects were, the first one was coming to D.C. to assist Molly Smith on Camelot. And while whatever city you go to at that time, the NEA actually arranged um, meetings with all the artistic directors in that city. So while I was there, I met Eric Schaefer and Michael Kaiser uh, and um, Joy Zinneman everybody. And through that, even though, um, and Molly and I had a great time, It's that's when I sort of um, hit it off with Eric at Signature and we became friends um, for several years. And in between that, you know, I, did, I also did the same thing in LA and I did it in Hartford Stage and all over the country. Um, but then when all those grants ran out, I was in, and Eric probably doesn't know this, but I was in, working at Zabar's in New York and he calls and he left it left a message. Cause back then I don't even think we had cell phones, but he was like, uh, I have a favor to ask you. And I thought he was going to ask me to help him with casting in New York. Cause he was directing Barbie and Fairytopia.
0: Oh my God.
2: And I'm like, Oh, maybe he will need some help when he comes up here in my mind. I was like, I wonder if he fired or someone died at signature. He needs someone to direct a show in the season.
1: And he was, was like, oh, Michael, I need you to play Ken.
2: Like, how dark is that? <laughs> and it turns out he did fire his socio-artistic so director who had scheduled The Sex Habits of American Women
0: yep.
2: starring Helen Headman. Mm-hmm. And Eric had never seen anything I directed, but he knew that I did period pieces that I like comedies and that I worked with uh, people that had, I would say, a very distinct style as far as um, clothing and all that kind of stuff. And... Um, And he said, would you read the script and consider it? Of course, I hang up and I'm like, well, I'll do that in between making these flower arrangements (laughs) for people. Um, No, of course. I said, yeah. And then when I went down there, I ingratiated myself to everyone, Sarah Jaffe and the whole staff. And I said after that, I said, Eric, if you need someone, I'd love to come down. And I know it didn't work out before. And I know this is your theater. So I just want to come down here serve you, learn how to work with a board, learn how to plan a season, budget, all of that stuff. Um, You don't have to hire me as a director and um, as long as I can do projects around town. And uh, he said, yes. And then when I got there, Sam Sweet, who's a managing director said, how long are you going to be here? And I said, well, probably five years because I do want to be an artistic director myself and Eric's young, he wasn't going anywhere. And so, um, that's sort of how DC played out. And about the five-year mark was when my partner was like, "You know what? DC is not for me. And if, if we're going to live in a town this expensive, let's go back to New York, um, or let's try a new adventure." And that's when lyric came out, came about. So, um, and it turns out, even with the the lyric thing in Oklahoma, um, my friend Shay Sullivan, who is a choreographer. In New York, she said, I think they're looking for artistic director. at lyric, and I didn't know much about it, but I knew Kristen Channel was, was from there, and it was a, had a really great reputation. Um, but I went back to Signature, and I said to Julie Meyer, the stage manager there, I said, aren't you from Oklahoma? What do you know about lyric? She goes, oh, my gosh, you have to take that job. You're perfect. I'm like, oh, okay. Lo- then I went, and uh, Emily Skinner was doing Dirty Blonde at Signature. At the same time, I go in her dressing room, and she's rehearsing for Sweeney Todd, and I'm like, where are you doing Mrs. Lovett? She goes, oh, Lyric Theater in Oklahoma. I went, what? I just heard about this place. they so looking for someone. Went down to the box office, Spencer Hanking. I'm like, Spencer, are you from Oklahoma? He goes, oh, you have to do Lyric. So I already had this great vibe and team in D.C. pushing pushing for me to, to, to try and get this job um, and saying great things about Oklahoma and the theater. So... I know that those three connections really took me a long way when I was applying for the job here. And they were absolutely right. It, it was the perfect time. I love Oklahoma. I love the theater. The connections between DC and Broadway and Oklahoma are strong, and now stronger, I hope. Um, and it definitely is not, you know, it's, I don't feel isolated. And I feel like I've been able to work with more people I love here than anywhere I have in the past.
1: And so you are currently the artistic director there at Lyric?
2: I am. I'm the producing artistic director, which is only the title the board gave me because the executive director who was here when I got here, and she'd been here about 35, 40 years, she retired. And they wanted someone financially as well in charge in the interim. And so, so yeah.
1: So you're Um, actually doing a, a little bit more than an artistic director. You're doing another job.
2: Yeah, I'm I would say I'm 70 60 to 70% business, executive director and then 30% 40% like actually directing. I do like I design all the seasons um I, in my contract, I direct four to five shows a year. Sometimes I do more. Sometimes I haven't done less yet. The thing about it is that, you know, as part of my salary is is directing shows as well as my associate, Ashley. So the more we direct, the more money we save. And we love directing. Um, but that's just part of the financial puzzle behind it. Yeah. Uh, but in the end, yeah, I mean, I'm in charge of making sure the budget's balanced and um, – we're doing well, which it has been balanced every year since I've been here.
1: So I'm sure you last year and a couple of months, you your theater probably had some exciting Zoom classes, Zoom cabarets. What all did you, you what did you do?
2: Yes, uh, we didn't actually. So when this all happened last March, <laughs> we, we were well well, we were in rehearsal for distant thunder, which is this the first pop native american musical by one of the guys that was in heights and we were about to tech and the performance from all over the country we just send everyone home and then i saw around the country other these zoom interviews with past artists future artists and i said hey, i don't want to do that i want to create something right now live if we can and um we at the same time as barrington stage we took out every other row of the theater, built partitions, had test cabarets. This is last April, May. And then at that point, I said, you know what? I don't wanna bring people back in until the union says it's safe to do so. Um, on Zoom, I, myself and my friend, Matt Brown, who is in town, a great actor, who's been in a ton of my shows and just become soulmates. We've always wanted to do a kid's show. And so we decided to write Lyric Kids Clubhouse and he was living with his uh, current girlfriend. They're living together. So we dumped costumes on their doorstep with equipment. They made a set in their living room and we decided to do a weekly show that we wrote with songs and stuff for little kids based on what was happening with the pandemic at the time. And 15 episodes later we went to, we built them an actual kid television uh, studio like with a set and everything in one of our rehearsal halls. They still are filming it by themselves. We added um, a race dance company, which is a hip-hop dance company. Two of their folks came in to do film hip-hop sequences. Um, this guy, Jerome Stevens, who's an African-American artistic director in town, he teaches poetry. And it became its own thing, All in the all in the hopes that the first show we do live for children is a live version of this that could be rewritten every day based on what's happening in the world.
1: Oh, that's fantastic.
2: And and that happened uh, in September. So it only took a few months. So we did that. Uh, Downtown in Myriad Gardens is an outdoor stage that is an island with a little moat and it was built for the Shakespeare company who wasn't using it at the time. And so... We did that kid show live in the morning where the two actors came from their house in costume to the stage, did the show, and went away. And it was on an Island. So they, and there were a couple so they could do the show unmasked this theater set 600. We only had a hundred at a time, very strict safety protocol, all that stuff. Um, and the evenings we did like yours, we did live cabaret events where all the artists in town, we did uh, they could sing unmasked on this Island outside you know outside with um island stage um with these audiences and what that did was it kind of it helped us figure out how to do things safely how many people were going to come back and what to do next and um that was september and then in october we rehearsed our this direction of a christmas carol at this historic village in right downtown and um It had, we brought in a hundred people per performance outside masks. The actors were all six feet talking, 12 feet apart when singing. Um, They never ever touched each other, were around the whole thing was done socially distanced, even on stage. Um, What we realized though, is that when you're outside and when you spread things out, it actually doesn't look socially distanced. It looks totally natural. The only times you were like, oh, right, it's COVID was when you saw that the audience was masked and you saw that like Bell and young Scrooge don't kiss. Um, We made adjustments. So like tiny Tim was a puppet because you can't hold us. You couldn't hold a live child at the time. Um, So a puppet was passed between Scrooge and Bob Cratchit. Um, We had an additional uh, four audience. uh, We call them lamp lighters who would lead the audience in smaller groups through the, um, to the next performing site. So that, because what we did find right away with the first performance is that the audience actually did not want to socially distance. So we had to make them.
1: Um,
2: And we had two full companies. So we had, uh, we had 32 actors uh, that rotated every other week because if someone did get COVID or was having to ice, you know, quarantine, we had to have another person right away. Um, so because we normally have 6,000 people go through it, we had 80 performances from November 1st to Christmas every um, every pretty much every night. And the show was an hour, 15 minutes long. And 4,500 people came through. We had no contact tracing of COVID to the audience. And none, no one on stage or backstage or staff got COVID because That's of it. great. So that was amazing. And got we were on the cover of the New York Times, the BBC. And through that, I said, all right, then now I know I can plan a real season next year outside. Um, The trick was how do we, it's one thing to do one show creatively. It's like, how do you plan five or six creatively before you do them? So that was a real puzzle. And it also it, it realized it, we learned our limits, even though we were, we thought we were, you know, being super creative, but, um, Ashley, my associate, when we we're looking at these huge venues, she's like, do we have to do three big summer musicals? I said, no, if we just do one, that will be a, a victory in itself. And let's do the one that makes the most sense at the venue so that it helps with storytelling. And it's not like, oh, we're just going outside and doing a big show. Um, which is, and that's really what's happened. Like, no one, when we're, when I mean, Greece is like the whole town's talking about it, but no one's saying, oh, Lyric has moved outside and that football stadium is their new venue. They're just saying, how cool is Greece being done at the historic high school? Sure. So, Absolutely. That was the not the Cliff Notes version, but that's sort of how, where we are now. And so, so
1: what is ahead after Greece?
2: So, after Greece, we're doing Masterclass by Terrence McNally um in honor of him because he passed away last year as well but that'll be in the garden, the garden stage uh where we did our first two shows here so it's smaller but right downtown in the middle of the city um and then we're doing the site-specific christmas carol again um and then you know this september as soon as broadway opens and i see out um we have full intentions of going back inside next year um and doing a show at the plaza, three summer shows, and then still staying outside for a couple others.
1: That's so exciting. Now-
2: It it is exciting in every way, you know, behind it has been like tears (laughs) and sadness. I mean, you know, I, I, it's, it's for theater, you know, we're supposed to be magicians and you know and and lift lift people's spirits which we have i think we've been very lucky because our weather's temperate here and we have definitely done that for the city but you know behind the scenes i i, I still only have a full-time staff of 13 where it was 26 and you know it's going to like next year we're we're doing we're doing uh th- three of the sh- uh three yeah three of the shows that we promised last year which is awesome The problem is, like, people bought tickets for those shows in 2019. Like, that's when renewals were. And now I'm doing them in 2022. And so there's still probably a third of our subscribers who have not told us anything what they're doing. Like, some subscribers said, yeah, I'm going to come to your outside shows this year. Let me use my tickets this year. Some have said, "I'll, I'll use, can I use my tickets next year in 2022? Sure, you can do that. A very, very small amount have asked for refunds. Um, but there is a group that of 600 households, which means probably 1,800 tickets, who have not told us anything. And we don't know, you know, have they passed away? Have, has, have they, is it just like, you know, is their lives overwhelmed by what, you know, what we're all overwhelmed by and theater's not in their mind and they don't really care about their tickets? Right. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how many people come next year because we really so far with Christmas Carol we've had people in groups of 100 and then we went to our first two shows this year where we went up to 180 or 90 and Christmas Carol will be, I'm sorry Christmas Carol M- uh, Greece will be audiences of 600 for uh, in a 1200 seat stadium but we're used to having 2,000 people a night seeing Greece Titanic with a cast of 100 you know um, Right. That amount of people, so to jump back up to that big hall is okay. going to be tricky, um, because unlike the Broadway series and even the Kennedy Center, when they say, "Yeah, we're back," well, they're bringing those. They're bringing in a company that has the lights, the sound, the costumes. They're they're footing that bill. Lyric and regional theaters, we have to build all that from scratch, and that capital. Is usually gone by now with most of the theaters because we've just used it to survive. Um, right. So that's the conundrum. I mean, and the government, like the government's help has been totally helpful. Foundations, our corporations in town um, have been extremely helpful. But in the end, our inventory has been so low. And the renewal campaign, which a lot of theaters are relying on, hasn't happened yet. We're still like, we missed a whole year of renewals. And if you don't really know, like the renewal money you get pays for the year you're doing now. Uh, that's the cash you use to spend now. That's so, that's
0: your open house money.
2: Yes, exactly. And so because there isn't that money to spend now, we we have just been putting in the bank the PPE and government stuff because we have to hold it aside for next year when all of a sudden the audience is like, Lyric is in those venues we bought our tickets already or we're going to buy tickets, put your show on. I'm like, okay, well, that that means, you know, that's a, that's a, a doubling of our budget overnight to where it was before. Um, so it's, it's possible. I mean, like the airline industry went from nothing to 80% capacity already, like overnight pretty much. We just have to hope Broadway does the same thing and that that translates to regional theaters. As well I
0: think I think it will um <clears throat> the the uh this is a geeky fact but I um uh, in my day job I have to meet with the tourism bureau of Arlington like once a month and get sure. the statistics of like hotel occupancy and whatever and that is inching up like very steadily um and and ever since like really what April it's just been jumping and jumping. And this month's is like, you know, it's not back to normal, but it's over, you know, triple what it was. So I, I do think that people are gonna start, there's a, a, a psychological thing that happens that you're kind of like, is this okay? Am I, I mean, I'm vaccinated. Is this okay? Can I go yeah. do this? And I've, I'm sure we've all experienced that, but um, there's there's a no, one more question I wanna ask you before we start to kind of wrap up. I got my eye on the time. Um, I I see through a lot of the shows that you brought to Lyric, there's a lot of um, new work, new musicals and shows in there. Was that the case before you got there? Or were you the kind of guy that said, we've got to kind of
2: look for the new things? It was not the case um, at all. And uh, we're members of NAMT, which is the National Alliance for Musical Theaters. Every year there's a festival. And um, I just felt, I mean, Lyric has put, you can't like throw a you can't throw a rock and not hit someone in New York in a Broadway show that hasn't been at Lyric or from Oklahoma. The um, those programs are so strong, and I told the board um, I said you know I said it, we it, it is our responsibility to add to the canon of American musical theater. We have used it so much, and there's no honestly there's no reason why shows that start in Oklahoma can't go other places. Um, we all know there's a a hu- there's a, a huge amount of, of musicals that have readings and things that actually never get productions. And, um, you know, NAMM's every year, which is like the entire Broadway industry is there and they present eight concert readings and musicals. And of those eight, you know, it's lucky that two move on. And so there's six others that are fantastic that need another life or need, encur- need composing writing teams encouragement to, um, to push them forward. So the first one I picked was Triangle, which is a musical about um, the Triangle Factory Fire in New York, and also a modern gay couple story. And um, I loved it in every way. And um, it, it, the I remember calling their agent, the writer saying, "Hey, I would love to do it." The in Oklahoma, and then she said no.
1: Yeah.
2: And I said. Um, but I've worked at signature theater da, da, da. she says, yeah, no, we we have agents and we're talking to blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, this is in November. I said, I'll call you back in February. Can I do that? And if there's nothing going on, we reconsider. She goes, yeah, call me back in February. Lo and behold, February, nothing was going on. <laughs> and she goes, all right, you can do it. But do you have to call it a world premiere? I'm like, no, we can call it a developmental production. She goes, okay. So we did it. It was, it, it was the first production. It was beautiful. Um, And it solidified to that writing team to go back to New York and say, hey, this is a great place um, to start to do your musical. That show still, it was done in California, won the Bay Area Best Musical Award. Still hasn't come to New York yet. One day it will, maybe. But the writing team moved on, and they're the writing team that writes all the songs for the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, wow. So, you know, when COVID happened and you know, we, have, we had a couple videos just saying, you know, keep Lyric in mind. There's just like, you know, Lyric gave us a chance to hone our craft. And, um, and so that I'm very proud of it. We have done that, you know, subsequently. I always tell the writing teams that we're doing this production for the audience in Oklahoma. If it goes on further, that is, I will help you in any way I can. But um, that is a different journey than I can provide for you. Um, I haven't ever taken... Um, like seed money or enhancement because I don't want other producers to come to Oklahoma to tell these writers, like what they feel the show needs at that time for commercial production. Cause I did see that happen at at signature many times where you had this extra money coming in, giving shows extra pressure. And if it didn't meet that moment of like, we're ready for Broadway and there's funders, then the show died and it was painful and unnecessary. Um, and I and I think that they're like as we found out with COVID, you you have to have pride in the moment you're doing the show, in front of the audience that's there. That's it. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and um, so all the world pointers we've done have 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 followed that trajectory. Um, some of them were based on connections at Signature, like you and I all. We all love Adam Guan. Um, Boy Detective Fails, one of my favorite shows ever. And um, he had one at NAMS that was a few years before I got there called Bernice Bob's Her Hair and about uh, the F. Fitzgerald show about, you know, uh, kids in Minneapolis, uh, Minneapolis in the uh, turn of the century and the shock, the shock of when a girl bobbed her hair. Uh, it was a very feminist piece written with Julie uh, Jordan who did uh, Murder Ballad I was like, this is great. Plus, I have all of these college kids here. The cast is like already set. So we did that one. Um, the next one we did was uh, uh, my friend, um, we're very close now, Doug Cohen and Dan Ellish. But Doug, I was an assistant on a new show he did years and years ago. And I just wanted, to, I felt I, um, I wanted to, to honor him and give him um, a production of a show that he'd done. So he and Dan Ellish came out to Man and Wife. Dan Elish did the book for 13 Um, the next one by a fluke, I just liked it. It was a rock, a punk rock show about the plague called when we're gone. We did that a year before the COVID happened. And now we're all like, Oh my God, the entire show was exactly what played out in America. Um, then the last one we've done, the one that's coming up is distant thunder, this Native American musical. And it was workshops at Oregon Shakespeare festival and in New York and Um, Lynn Taylor Corbett, who was the original choreographer for Footloose and Titanic and her son from in the Heights, they wrote together. It's a beautiful piece. No theater was taking the risk and the financial risk to put it up because it's expensive. You have to have a native American cast, which means they're coming from all over the country. It needs some work. Um, the process has been very different, um, as far as native drumming and, um, going around the state and getting and um, introducing the show to the tribes and the nations because they're not all the same, obviously. But, um, you know, I say, you know what? If no one's, <laughs> like, this needs to be done. Even if it's not perfect, the next Native American musical is not going to get done unless this one does. So there's very various reasons why, how I, how I kind of arrive at the, the new work. Um, but usually it's, it's um, something in my heart, like, tugs the heartstrings and that I think our audiences are going to like and that it's going to somehow for, uh, you know, move, move forward the needle for musical theater, whether it's through diversity, whether it's the actual content of it. Um, and sometimes it's just good old friends.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, OK, we always end, end the podcast with these three questions. So I'm going to start. Um, so. During the pandemic, everybody, like, not everybody, that's a generalization, uh, a lot of people (laughs) um, learned a new skill. Uh, People like baked bread or learned how to speak another language or whatever. Did you, I know you had your hands full learning how to continue a theater company, uh, you know, the theater company's life through the pandemic, but did you pick up any new skills you never thought you would try?
2: Um, last September, we decided to do keto. <laughs> and so now I can cook keto and make peanut butter cookies and pizza. And yeah, who knew I would want, want to cook with not real sugar and use cheese in a dough. It's <laughs> so there you go.
0: See, I don't even know what that is. So there you go.
2: Well, it's, it's a it's a lifestyle. Steve. <laughs> that is... No sugar, no flour, no carbs, no carrots. It's
0: it's coming out of a second closet, is what you're saying?
2: Pretty much. No, uh, yeah, but I think I think yeah, uh, both of our attention to what we eat has has been a new skill. Doesn't mean we're you know healthy, but I think yeah. Other than that, um, we want our new skill to be pottery because we love the Great Pottery Throwdown which is the Great British Bake Off pottery version on HBO Max, free plug. It's wonderful. Same exact setup as the Bake Off, but for pottery. And don't you
0: think that Ghost did for pottery what like, you know, ever <laughs> since that, it's just sexy, you know, there's something about oh, it.
2: It's full double entendre-ville, it's beautiful.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> um, all right, second question. Uh, A lot of people had a little, well, I don't, again, some of these don't apply to you because you have a crazy bonkers busy job, but um, a lot of people had time. Maybe they didn't have uh, to binge shows that they never would have or, or just concentrate on things that they liked. Were there shows that you just kind of like that filled your time or calmed your brain?
2: Oh, Jim and I, my partner, we only watch mostly Scandinavian crime shows. And so we belong to these crazy apps like MHZ Choice. And they're also on Ecorn and also on BBC Masterpiece. But if we didn't, we, we rarely watch television in English. And if it's not in Danish, Icelandic, Swedish, Norwegian, or Finnish, we don't like it. <laughs>
0: Um, That's incredibly specific. Can I ask why that is or how that came to be?
2: We've always been... I'm half Swedish. We did travel in our youth to Iceland. And um, we picked up uh, reading Scandinavian crime novels well before The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And um, it is... It's a whole, I mean, it's more popular now, obviously, but it's just a genre that's very specific, beyond interesting, and um, that we love. And then, of course, once the pandemic happened and we found that every one of the detectives we had read, there was a TV show made about them in their countries, and now you could watch them on these crazy apps, we were done. So. Yeah, I, I think, and we, and I do have on my phone, like on my notes, our Scandinavian mystery list, and I, I think we've seen probably fifty series, series, fifty seasons of these I like, shows.
0: I like these seasons about.
2: Right. Each season is about 8 episodes, but we've seen about 50 of them. We we actually know the actors, the professional actors in all these countries, and we're like, "Oh, look, it's the mayor from that one is is the killer in this one." There's, there's only like 50 actors total in all those countries.
1: Oh my god, um, that's fascinating.
2: Yep, so we're fans of all of them. And they switch different countries because people in Sweden can speak Danish, so you'll see a Swedish actor in the Danish one. It's it's really cool.
1: So, um First of all, we love, love, love talking to you Yeah. to spend this time together.
2: Um, Uh, I'm going to call you back later just to hear about what's going on with you two more. (laughs) Because I miss you both terribly.
1: (laughs) We're just doing our thing. You You, know, we're writing a couple of shows and doing a couple of things. And we basically just create events. We don't know if people are going to show up. Yep. Um, but our last question is: I just recently produced Susan Derry's uh, album. It was f- from a holiday cabaret that I fell in love with, and said, "Susan, can we take this in the studio?" I will Susan produce- Derry
2: from Showboat, No Boat yeah. Showboat. Yeah. Oh, I love Susan. Yeah. I said,
1: I will produce this. I will find the money with my, uh, I have a Nevermore Records LLC uh, business here. So, anyways, with that, it was entitled I Wish It So. And Stephen created a wish box. And we've been asking everyone for now, what, 50 podcasts mm-hmm. almost? Yep. Uh, if, if you had one wish, either for yourself or for the world or for others or whatever you want, Can you think of something that you would want to wish for that we will put in this wish box? And at some point this year, there's going to be an event where all these wishes are going to be read and sort of a mantra for a global consciousness.
2: Oh, that is so nice and lovely. Yeah, I I wish everyone gets to see the people they've missed this past year and a half. They actually get to see them somehow in person.
0: I thought you were going to say. I hope
1: everyone comes and sees Greece. That's what I thought you were going (laughs) to say.
2: I'm not that shameless. (laughs) Um, Um, uh, We
1: were were talking to a woman here in Arlington County that's in charge of.
0: She's not in charge of anything. She's just an artist. Um, She has a a studio called Studio Pause, where the whole point, P A U S E, the whole point is to get people's. Uh, like fingers, hands dirty, like with art for the first time. If they're uh-huh. like, if they've never done so, it's a makerspace, And so we might do something. We're going to do something in her studio. Lines. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's um, nice. But, uh, and, and all these wishes, I think she's going to turn into some kind of paper art, project thing um but yeah it's gonna be nifty and it's been great talking to you michael i'm sorry we went a little over and best of luck with
1: the women's a softball world series in oklahoma Thank City. You. Oh. number one in the world <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes <laughs> there Steven are lesbians the- everywhere in town steve and i bathroom. are gonna send you
1: a rough draft of the musical uh the oklahoma i'm not sure they call the sooners i think yeah, they I are. don't. Yeah, the Sooners. when I show we to you called the Sooners. Yeah, sooner than later.
2: Um, wow, that's cute. You know why they're called the Sooners?
1: No. Uh,
2: that's that refers to the land run. So that that one day when everyone was out on a line and you ran and got your plot in Oklahoma and the Sooners cheated and they went early.
1: Uh, oh Sooners. my gosh, that's fascinating. Yeah. There's so much history that is surrounding you right now, right?
2: Oh, it's, it's, it's really crazy. The, the big thing happening right now is that the uh, Supreme Court um, has decided that um, all of the federal trials that happened on, uh, to Native peoples in, in, this, in this state don't count because that court had, had no authority. And so who knows how many things are going to be retried federally because they were uh they were brought to court under the wrong jurisdiction the wrong wow. yeah, they, had no, they had no power to do that it's called wow. the mcgill case um and that's going to change a lot of american the american legal system and it happened here yeah
1: yeah yeah
2: well, well all right michael <laughs> co- uh, very light note
1: <laughs> no we could keep talking um we love
0: you and we hope to talk to you soon and uh happy pride in oklahoma city thank
2: you and happy pride to you and you're more than welcome to always get in your car come on to route 66 and come through oklahoma city i could go storm chasing cast catch a matinee be wonderful all on the same day it happened yesterday at rehearsal yes we all all ran inside because. don't tell
1: michael but i'm gonna learn the choreography to beauty school dropout and show up as one of the backup ensemble um
2: well, you just told Michael, I don't have to. What? You, you well, do that, and because the cast is so big, I might not even know.
0: Until no, you wouldn't even curlers.
1: know. They'd be like, you know, who was that random person in Curlers?
0: I think you're going to get people streaking the field during the show. Oh, my God.
2: Please.
0: We'll, we'll come and streak the show. I could buy right. that, kind of, that kind of press.
1: Stephen, do not oh. put that out there.
0: We'll do it. I hear you. <laughs> okay, I'll drop that card. Again. Everyone wants to see this post COVID. <laughs> All it's, right, we love you. It's Michael. so bright.
2: I love you guys too. <laughs> we'll
0: see you talk- soon. Bye.
2: Thanks for inviting me.
0: Uh huh. Bye. We had such a great time talking to Michael. We can't wait to see and hear more about the Grease, uh, production coming up at Lyric Theater of Oklahoma. Um, and, uh, if you want to know more about us, you can always visit our website, www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an E R smithmusicals.com. We're also on Facebook under Connor and Smith. Um, and if you could rate review and subscribe to this podcast, it would help us out a lot well as we always say turn Turn your heart heart into into art good night everybody good night